Hey, everyone. We were so thankful to have the Barretts with us on October 29th, and Megan Barrett preached to us that evening. To find out more about their ministry and the mission in which they are involved, you can learn more in the show notes. Also, the lectionary readings, as always, are linked in the show notes. Here is Megan's sermon from October 29th. Grace and peace. It's good to be with you all this evening. I'm so honored that I'm able to be here. Um, Yeah, and I just want to thank pastors um, Phil and Marissa for creating this space for me to be here with you all. I'm, I'm really honored. Um, and as Phil mentioned, we've been in Cleveland um, the last few years, growing our family, finishing our master's, um, and yeah, and just serving at our home church in uh, Cleveland there. And I've had the privilege of serving as a deacon in the Diocese of St. Anthony, and again, where I met them. And it seems like right now our family is a little bit here, there, and everywhere. We've moved from Cleveland just recently to North Carolina um, as we are in this sort of nebulous zone of getting ready to move in January 2024 to the Middle East. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're, like I said, in that nebulous zone. <laughs> but we will be working with an NGO that, that you heard operates in the Arabian Peninsula. I can't share... Um, I don't, potentially this might be recorded, so (laughs) I'm not going to get into all the details. Um, Part of that is just for the security of the local um, Arab team that we'll be working with there. Um, Some of them are Christians, and the other, uh, about two-thirds of the team are Muslim there. And so um, for the sake of the church in that part of the world, we just have to be a bit more cautious. But the NGO itself, um, they do a few different things, but peace building leadership trainings are one of the main areas that they work in. Um, They also operate and run some mental health first aid programs for children and families to process the effects and the things that they've seen from war and violence in that region. Uh, They also run entrepreneurial and economic programs to help families build sustainable lives for themselves. Uh, And I'm I'm happy to say this too, the the team that's on the ground doing the work uh, are all Arabs. They're all locals from their community and we just get to help make sure that they have everything that they need to run this NGO successfully, to build peace in their country and God is working and we just merely get to work alongside Christ in this part of the world because Christ is already there working and moving and um, we're just really glad that God is raising up peace builders in the Middle East even though we don't hear about that often it is happening Um, and thank God right thank God that's the truth and that's what's happening there Um, especially in this region that is experiencing so much violence and war. But yeah, the the NGO, for all intents and purposes, is secular NGO, but it is undergirded and infused by kingdom principles. So part of their peace-building programs, it's all about working towards forgiveness, reconciling with one another, and reaching and striving for justice in the most, uh, 
I mean, some of the areas of the world that are most acutely uh, experiencing violence and war, as I mentioned, and just crises uh, that are out of the control in many ways of the people there, too. Um, but again, all of these values, all the values of the NGO um, and the leadership that comprises it uh, are rooted in the teachings of Christ, and this fuels our work. It fuels the work of the NGO, and we aim to create space where ordinary people uh, can experience hope and peace amidst the tragedy of war. And so we count it a blessing. Uh, it really, and you know, sometimes you hear this, but, and it sounds cliche, but it really is a, a blessing for us, and we're super humbled and honored that we get to uh, work alongside uh, Arabs that are, yeah, making their country better. It's a small team of 40, uh, but they are really, truly incredible people um, living in and operating in a countercultural way, too, in many regards. So, yeah, we're just grateful for, like I said, to be here. We're grateful for the team of people that are helping us make this, this uh, work a reality. Um, and that's all I'm really going to say about the work that we're doing. If you want to learn more, um, we're happy to talk with you afterwards. Um, we have some prayer cards and things like that, too. But um, I want to jump into our, our text today. Uh, but I want to enter this space with just consideration and mindfulness of the faces and the fact that there are so many people in this room whose stories uh, and testimonies, I, I mean, I don't know. And you have stories and testimonies. And I don't know all of the moments and the hardships and the sufferings and the celebrations that have brought you to this time and space. And there are so many things happening in our world. But there are so many things happening in each of our lives, too. Some might have more going on than others, but the fact remains that life is messy, it's strange, it's beautiful, and full of continual adjustments and changes. So I want to be sensitive to all these things. We didn't hear the... Uh, epistle passage today, but it makes me keenly aware and reminds me <laughs> that we need to be gentle when we're in this space, when I'm standing in this space. I need to be attuned to the Spirit and faithful to Christ. Um, so today I want to start with a question. Do we love our lives? I'm going to say it differently. Do you love your life? I've heard people talk about self-love and connection with loving your neighbor. And sometimes what's meant by this is more of just a, as long as you don't like despise yourself, then okay, you're able to love your neighbor, love God, and fulfill this commandment. Um, and I don't want to minimize that or even poke at this idea since loving and caring for ourselves um, is vitally important in order to be a holistically healthy person. I do, however, um, think this line of thought uh, all too quickly allows one to think of loving um, our neighbor and, and, and loving in the sense of, okay, it's this imaginary checkbox, right? Like, okay, love God, love neighbor, love self, check, 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 fulfilled the commandment. And it's, if only it were that easy. <laughs> and we often try to talk about love of God and neighbor 
as if it were easy. But in order to love well, I think we need to love life. And not just the daily grind of our um, routines that we often refer to as our lives. We need to truly love life itself. The gift of being that God has given us. And so much can get in the way of this. Life is hard. It wears on us. All of the disappointments, the losses, the pains. I mean, simply watching the news or looking at the news app can sometimes bring anxiety and feelings of overwhelm. How can we deeply love life when it wears us down? When it feels dangerous? When it seems like life itself is constantly in danger? In his book, The Spirit of Hope, Theology of a World in Peril, German theologian Jürgen Moltmann states that life is in danger because life is no longer loved, affirmed, and accepted. As a survivor of the Second World War, he wrote extensively during the Cold War. Moltmann continues to speak to the perils of our current time with a unique weight. In the spirit of hope, he references the French author Albert Camus, who wrote after the war, the mystery of Europe, this is the mystery of Europe, life is no longer loved. And this statement really resonates deeply with Moltmann. And he says this, those who suffered in that monstrous war knew what Camus meant. A life no longer loved is ready to kill and is liable to be killed. Those who suffered in that monstrous war knew what Camus meant. A life no longer loved is ready to kill and liable to be killed. Moltmann continues in this particular chapter discussing how no longer loving life leads directly to the atrocities that we see in our world, such as terrorism, and I mean this in all of its forms, murder, war, the destruction and disregard for our ecological systems, and more. And in his book, Ethics of Hope, which was published a few years before uh, The Spirit of Hope, Moltmann observes that we live in a culture of death. A fixation on death has begun to define nearly every culture and society, a fix, um, particularly due to the, the potential of total annihilation of humanity through nuclear war, since he was writing, again, extensively during the Cold War. We are all more acutely and often subconsciously aware, now more than ever before in history, that we could be violently killed at any moment. This culture of death bubbles underneath everything we do. And because of this, we struggle to truly love life as it is constantly obscured by death. I appreciate Moltmann's work here. It puts words to our troubling reality that we often can't express. Many of us in our time struggle to see the value of our own lives. And we struggle to see the value of the lives of those around us. 
All too often, we do not love life. And this is troubling. And it rightly leads us to a place of desperation. The psalm today asks of God, how long shall you tarry, O Lord? Or how long will you delay, O Lord? I've heard this same question asked many, by many elders in the churches I've been in throughout my life. It was most often brought up in earnest, too, asking why Christ has not returned to make all things right. There's so much death and violence and pain and war. I ask at times, how long will you tarry, O Lord? Our human frame can only handle so much. We can only process so much. I think this is why the psalmist also speaks of the limitations and the finitude of our humanness. From one generation to another, you have been our refuge. You turn us back, back into dust. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past. From generation to generation, God has always been our refuge. God has always been, and God has always been for us. Even when we return to dust. We are beautifully finite, and God is beautifully infinite. This psalm calls us to remember that God is faithful and kind. God will carry us in our finitude. God knows our frame, created our frame, and loves us as such. It is with this truth in our hearts that we can boldly ask God, how long will you tarry? And experience peace and assurance that God is still our refuge, even when we don't receive a clear answer to our question and are left waiting. We, like Moses in our passage from Deuteronomy, are leaning into attention, the kingdom that is already but not yet. Moses can see the promised land, but can't enter it. Moses is assured that God's promises and fullness will come to pass, even though he doesn't get to experience it in its fullness. And we say in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, because we can see the violence taking place across the world, and we are convinced that all things are not yet made right. We know that God's kingdom is different than our present reality. It is not here yet. At the same time, in our present reality, we are also offered the opportunity to look into the faces of those who are suffering and think, how can we love life through this? How can this person love life? It's in these faces, in our face, that we behold the face of Christ who is indeed with us now. Christ who has suffered and is suffering with all who are hurting and enduring pain.
Christ, who loved his finite life, was on a trajectory towards death, all because he loved our lives and knew that our lives were worth living. And I don't want to say too much about all of the particulars on this, but I have found myself, in light of recent events, and particularly what's happening in the, in the Middle East, um, not knowing exactly what to think or feel. And I mean, I have inclinations, I think we all do, but for me, I recognize that I don't and I can't see the whole picture. None of us can, and none of us will. We can't fully understand what is happening in our world. And we, uh, we don't have all the uh, clear-cut opinions all the time. Here we have to come to terms with our finitude, not knowing exactly what has or hasn't happened, not knowing for certain all of the details of a given event, and not knowing whether or not the information we have is fully the truth. And this muddies things up for us. But I think this is exactly where we're meant to be. And as a caveat, this recognition is not, nor can it be, an excuse for condoning or being indifferent towards injustice and violence. When we see hatred and violence in our world, we cannot as Christians say that it is good. At the same time, we must admit that having all of the exact information and a perfect summation of all of the happenings in the world will not form us into the people we are called to be. Exact knowledge and understanding do not align our hearts and our beings with Christ. And it surely doesn't bring us into deeper allegiance with Christ and for Christ because it doesn't lead us to love life as it is finite. And this doesn't mean we bury our heads in the sand either or spend our days blissfully uninformed. But complete knowledge of events and their histories cannot be the only aspects we seek out. With all of the heaviness and hardships, I cannot understand, I feel and sense my finitude more and more. And at the same time, I feel the need to know and love Christ even more, who is the perfect uniting of the finite and the infinite. If we are to live out the greatest commandment, we must be formed by Christ. And Christ invites us into a life of formational disciplines that teach us to truly love life, none of which involve exact knowledge and understanding, though some. (laughs) We are formed by beholding Christ, by deeply rooting ourselves in Christ's body, the church, by living and walking in the ways Christ modeled for us, and continues to model for us by loving our enemies, by blessing those who persecute us, by being lowly and living in meekness and humble devotion to our persecuted, murdered, 
acquainted with grief king. We are formed as we walk in forgiveness and reconciliation with one another, as we simultaneously experience Christ reconciling us to himself. We are formed as we pray. May it be sharing our thoughts and our heart with God, groaning and praying in the spirit, praying prayers from the historic church and or engaging in contemplative prayer like the desert fathers and mothers. We are formed as we behold Christ in scripture and we are formed as we behold Christ in the face of our neighbor. And we'll be coming to this table soon. And we are formed as we behold Christ at the banquet table. And beholding Christ at the table, and I'm so glad you all do this weekly and midweek. Praise God. (laughs) We come face to face with Christ's broken body. His body that is familiar, so familiar with the pain that people across the Middle East are facing. His body that is familiar with your pains, your hurts, and those intimate places of suffering that can't always be seen by the naked eye. In beholding Christ at the table, we come face to face with Christ's blood poured out. Jesus' passion for our fragile, finite human frame the bloodline that we so needed to be grafted into, not of hatred and of murder, but of love, peace, kindness, joy, and patient suffering. In beholding Christ at the table, we lean in closer to the already, not yet the kingdom of our heavenly father that is so different than those kingdoms of this world. But yet, when we come to the table, we get to participate in the kingdom that is breaking in through this sacramental meal, through these elements and into our physical bodies. And beholding Christ at the table, we behold his life unto death and his death unto life. We learn to love life in which death is found and overcome. And we find courage and joy to live each day in hope. So I want to invite you as you come to the table to this meal, let us bring to God what belongs to God. Let us bring ourselves. For God has been and continues to be our refuge. Let us ask and behold Christ for who he is here and now, even as we wait for him to return and make all things right. 
Let us behold the uncontainable, peaceful, glorious, and box-breaking love of Jesus Christ in this meal, revealed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we behold and are formed into, the, into Christ's likeness, may we be filled with hope and joy, with a love for life that we can love God, ourselves, our neighbors, our enemies, and all of God's creation more rightly. I'd like to leave you with this blessing today. Let me pray for you. May the Lord make you glad by the measure of the days that you were afflicted and the years in which you suffered adversity. Satisfied by the Lord's loving kindness, may our gracious God show you miraculous works and show God's splendor to you and to your children. May the graciousness of the Lord our God be upon us. Prosper the works of our hands and prosper our handiwork. May the almighty and merciful Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you now and forevermore. Amen.